0: Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. Today, I'm very pleased to have as a guest, Tony Apostolakis, who is the U.S. representative of Masi, which is one of the more famous Italian brands, and I wanted to welcome him on board and do a brief intro of himself. Tony, welcome. Welcome
1: welcome and thank you for having me today as the name I probably gave you the hint that i'm not italian but i'm from a greek descent uh, i'm canadian born living in the united states uh representing Mazzi now since 1999 uh, starting my my days in canada and then eventually being moved to the united states 2005 and working for Mazzi directly since uh, since then residing in upstate New York and uh, traveling back and forth, pre-COVID, of course, uh, to Italy on a regular basis and working alongside uh, multiple uh, colleagues and partners in the United States.
0: Well, let's start off with talking about Masi in the U.S. and explain the history of the company here. And you've made some changes recently in the structure and how those changes have been made. We'll Start with that.
1: Yeah, well, as you know, uh, Sandro Boscaini, our president and, um, and owner of Mazzi, uh, really was one of the pioneers of uh, not just Amarone, but of Italian wine and introducing it to Americans back in the 60s and 70s. He would come here regularly and work with uh, our importers and our wholesalers, introducing the entire market to Amarone and to Valpolicella. You know, since then, now we've been in the market for four or five decades and Yes, 2020 was a remarkable year for, for many, many things. From, from our business perspective, it was the year that we planned to make uh, some dramatic and substantial changes to our footprint in the United States. And uh, we went through it. Uh, April with, April of 2020 was the, the timeline when we were partnering uh, the Mazzy brand with uh, Santa Margarita Uh, We have our uh, brand, Serigo Alighieri, from the noble family of Dante Alighieri, was the partner with Vineyard Brands of July of the same year. And, of course, we have uh, property in Valdobiadene, Canavel Spumante, that we're also launching and begun to launch prior to the pandemic, but launching during the pandemic as well, too. So it's been a very challenging year for many, many reasons.
0: Is that uh, Spumante that you mentioned, is that a Prosecco or...?
1: Yes, Valdo Biadene Prosecco Superiore, uh, Masi, in in 2016, embarked upon uh, the majority ownership of a a really fantastic uh, small production, primarily Italian market-based Valdo Biadene. We became, uh, with the goal of really to expand it into the export markets, and it was really the first product that we had that didn't have the word Mazzi written on the front. It was a separate entity. And... We started introducing it to the rest of the world outside of Italy back in 2017, and we began the long, careful process of building a proper network that would treat it really the same way that would you treat our single vineyard Amaronis, that it's a, it's not a large production, it's not voluminous, but it's a premium DOCG products that we've uh, introduced uh, alongside our other products in the United States. And 2020 was really A major shift in the way we went to market for us.
0: Explain that. So you've broken into three categories. Does that mean different importers and different distribution networks?
1: Yeah, look, you know, there's been consolidation happening now for for many years in the United States, from the retail level to the wholesale level. And, you know, it's really created a a bottleneck for brands uh, trying to gain entry into the United States. And, you know, Massey is very fortunate because we have um, great consumer recognition and uh, for years of tremendous uh, brand equity. And the markets that we have distribution, the consumer has responded well and the United States was one of them. Uh, What Massey is also unique in that we have a multiple range of products and multiple wineries that we have. From Argentina, that's the Masi Tupangato. We have uh, partnerships in uh, Trentino. We have properties, uh, Cerego as I mentioned, in Val Policella. We have property in Val So we have a, a, a wide range of products. And of course, we have uh, the Masi brand, uh, the Venetian Ambassadors, and of course, the Sera Moroni, Campo In. These are products that have been uh, well known and, rec- and well recognized, and uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, it was much different to bring up a whole portfolio into the market and have uh, importers execute alongside their wholesalers. But as consolidation has changed, we've had to really condense and get really focused with our products. And we decided that the best way to focus is to kind of not have the traditional way of doing business, having one importer dedicated to the entire range of products, but... Really specialist importers that would specialize in the different types of products. And because not all of our wineries have the same type of uh, purpose, so to speak. Uh, We have small production Amarone with Serigo Alighieri. We have Massi Medello. We have Massi Tupangato. We have such a broad range of products that we needed to have people dedicated solely to those. And so we aligned ourselves with uh, Santa Margarita. Of course, we have many values that are similar from family-owned to geography. They're a very well-established white wine and, of course, bubbles as well, too. And of course, we're a red wine-based company from Val and it was really a perfect uh, marriage and partnership that we can provide really focus to our wholesalers to say we have white from the far north and we have red wines from Val as well, too. Then, of course, we have a small production property, Sergola Gedi, that really demanded to have importers that are really focused on the upper end, the the small production, the the hand-sell type of wines. And Vineyard Brands was precisely this type of company. They specialize in Bordeaux and Burgundy and Champagne, and they're expanding their portfolio from Italy as well, too. They're a wonderful company that we embarked this year. And um, our Spumante, our, our, our Prosecco, we have and not a national approach, but we have a series of regional companies that we focus on uh, markets across the country, and we work directly with them. So we have a direct link with our partners uh, with our Prosecco, and then we have partnerships with our importers for our main main products.
0: You talked about focus, and I think that's, that's pretty interesting. One of the challenges, one of the things many brands do is focus on a market like New York. And a lot of smaller markets, which represent significant opportunities. And certainly with a large portfolio like yours, how does this new approach impact your focus on smaller markets? And now I'm thinking of like Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, Minnesota, and Colorado.
1: Well, you know, for decades, one of the things that Massey has always had is balance in the United States market, that we try to treat all markets with equal importance. Of course, there is this gravitation of that people want to go to New York and they want to go to San Francisco and Miami, and they're all wonderful cities. But of course, the rest of the world wants to make it, as they say, in the same markets. But, you know, the value of a, of a wine cellar in Michigan is just as important to us as the value of a wine cellar in Long Island. And the person drinking Amarone in Ohio or the person drinking Valpolicella in Colorado is just as important to us uh, so we've always tried to visit all these markets and work alongside our partners uh, or wholesalers and importers in those markets. And in quite fact, we find that the loyalty is sometimes is even uh, stronger in those markets because we've taken the time to invest, to fly into these markets and spend time with them. So this new approach will just help us even do that more now because we can dedicate separate resources to these same brands and really try to work the entire country.
0: One of the other things that's obviously COVID is having a huge impact, but, but one of the things I think that was maybe in place is we're seeing a change in the role of the distributor salesperson and it's been accelerated by COVID. Can you comment on that?
1: Italian brands were really built from the restaurants. That's their first point of uh, introduction. And when the restaurant industry was decimated, to say, well, let's switch our products to retail, it's not that simple. So many, many brands suffered alongside all those restaurants. And today, many are still suffering with these restrictions. So, it's, um, of course, it's the same thing with our wholesalers, too. There has been a dramatic uptick in volume from the retail side, of course, because we're staying at home or we're ordering wines, uh, but not enough to really compensate, at least for many brands, all the losses that they've suffered in the restaurants. And, of course, the wholesalers have had to adapt as well, too. In, in some cases, the wholesalers You know, their on-premise forces uh, were either laid off or maybe temporarily laid off or some wore multiple hats where they focused on taking care of the retailer, which uh, really became the only point or the main point of where the the consumer can buy their wines from. But there's no doubt it's challenging for the, uh, the wholesalers because we all want our products to be sold and they have many hats to wear and of course it's much it's very challenging for them and you know and they're the only ones in the front lines I mean most of us have been relegated to our homes so we're not travelling but it's our wholesalers that are out there knocking on the doors you know wearing masks building displays and really doing all the difficult work on our behalf so we have a lot of gratitude towards them especially during these times
0: One of the changes uh, that I've been reading a lot about and certainly have seen personally is we used to talk about the industry being divided into on-premise versus off-premise. And now we hear people talking about e-premise. Along with COVID having such a negative impact on the on-premise side, it's also facilitated the growth and the progression of e-commerce in beverage alcohol. And some people have said we've moved 20 years in 10 months. How is uh, Masi participating in this, or are you doing it through the importers and wholesalers? How are you addressing that market?
1: Well, look, you know, of course, uh, social media is, you know, to go to e-commerce, you know, at one point, point we said it was a channel, but really it's a it's a marketplace. COVID has shifted all of our attention and now we're on Instagram or Facebook. We're on these famous wine publications website trying to get the reviews, the scores, comments. There's large retailers from a national platform have done exceedingly well. Their their growth has been uh, tremendous. But you know, getting distribution with them is challenging if you don't have it. We've been fortunate because we've had the groundwork laid by uh, the, our previous uh, importers and wholesalers, so the brand was set, so to speak, in many in many cases. So we were fortunate enough to have a distribution and to have that uh, pull already. But you know, what are we doing? You know, we have through our importers, we it has to be all online now. But you know, it seems that Instagram is becoming a very important a way of reaching out to the Somalis who are v- still very important to us. Even though many restaurants still aren't where they should be, but they'll be back. But the only way we can communicate to them is, is through that format. And of course, there's always advertising that you could do on certain publications, not the ones that sell wine, but the ones that are talking about wine. But so we're, uh, I wouldn't say we we're aggressive before, but we were embarking upon a large uh, platform. And I think we have an exceptional uh, internal communications team working on that for us right now.
0: Well, let's get some specific. I mean, uh, a lot of what I hear is that, well, the burden of selling from distributor to retailer is still at that level in the three-tier system and isn't necessarily the brand manufacturer's responsibility. On the other hand, a lot of people tell me it is the supplier's responsibility to find ways to market and to adapt to the changes that are happening. So are there any particular e-commerce channels that you guys have found success with, whether it's delivery within an hour like Drizzly or mini bar delivery or through pure play online things like wine.com?
1: But look, Steve, you know, being a producer, of course, the responsibility and really the marketing and the distribution, those come directly from our importers and our wholesalers. So they can speak at greater length, I think, as to what what is working for them and what isn't. But from a, a producer perspective, of course, you know, we want to gain access, but it's really the wholesaler and the importer that are really uh, the ones that are, are managing that for us.
0: And the ones that you're working with, do you feel that they're doing an okay job? Do you feel that you're seeing some real focus and attention from them, which is something new?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they've done a remarkable job in transitioning from restaurants and focusing their resources towards retail and not neglecting the restaurants because the restaurants will come back and and they're still supporting them in terms of uh, buying product or, or, or helping them in some way. Uh, but really trying to shift their attention and the resources towards retail in terms of building proper merchandising materials and working alongside our retail partners and trying to get depletions and distribution. But I I think they've done a remarkable job uh, of shifting but still remembering that the restaurants are important and they will be back and, and the brands will still continue to thrive in those restaurants. We can't, we can't forget them. The retailers uh, have the luxury now of selecting more than ever which, uh, who gains entry into their, their platform. So it's not easy to get access today. Uh, the demand has got to be just overwhelming for them and to get their attention is very, very difficult. But, you know, we have very good partners that have access to them right now. And that really is something that we appreciate and something that we need because without that type of partnerships in the United States, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to get access to retailers. So you need to have a strong link in the market and Vineyard Brands and Santa Margarita are very well-established players.
0: So I think you're in, uh, this is a good segue to uh, responsibilities of uh, a U.S.-based representative. You're in somewhat of a not unique situation, but there aren't a lot of people like you, resident in the U.S. and fully dedicated and employed by a company back in Italy. That's very different than you know a typical importer, uh, marketing manager job, or even the export manager based in the home country. Can you talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts of How you approach that and what you see as the function of the brand representative is in the United States.
1: Well, look, I think, first of all, the position Sandra Boscaini, I think now for decades, always recognized that you needed to have a presence in all markets with your brand that goes extends beyond the label. And that's where the, the person becomes very important. And the united states is a complicated market as you know Stephen. it's uh, multiple levels of distribution and if for a bottle of wine from our sellers to reach a consumer it has to be shipped to an importer it has to be sold to a wholesaler who has to sell it to a retailer and then the consumer has to buy it and what's the most important thing for a brand like mazzy or many other brands similar to us is to tell the story and the story needs to be told in order for it to resonate with the consumer and It's not as simple as just posting something on social media and saying this is our story it needs to be told through all the gatekeepers from the importer to the wholesaler on down and i think that's where the role of representatives are really tremendous they're assisting and they're adding the goal is to add value uh, and not to really be a policing person but to, to be there to assist to help strategize to make it clear what the channels and what what the direction of the brand is what the priorities are And to make sure that message gets pushed down, so to speak. It's one thing to sit in Italy with your importers and agree on a plan, but that has to be executed. And it takes that message to be pushed down directly. And, you know, telling the story, I think, is the most important thing that brands like Mazzi need in the United States, because we are not mainstream. We're not Cabernet. We're not Chardonnay. We're not Napa. We're Verona. We're Val Policello, We're Corvina. We're Appassimento. Valdo Biadene. We're Mazzi Tupongato with Corvina Malbec. It's, you know, these are wines that have a great history and complexity, but those stories need to be told. And it's not just at a wine show where you touch people, but it has to be told every day through every person that touches these wines. As I said, there's many hands that have to touch her wine before they get to the mouths of the consumer.
0: Well, that brings up a subject that's important to me, and that is messaging. What I've found is that Yes, stories need to be told, but the messaging or the, the value proposition is different for each level in the chain. So for example, the importer level, it may be exclusivity or strength in a particular category. In the case of distributor, it may be have something to do with extant portfolio. And in the case of the retailer on and off-premise, it's a function of margins. And their expectation of brands to help get butts and seats, that's what they need. A story is a great way to tell it, but the story differs from each level of the chain. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, of course. look uh, an importer is looking they have a portfolio that they want to be able to deliver a complete portfolio to a wholesaler. So uh, if there's gaps as they say, or areas where they need, that's where a brand could play a role. The wholesaler doesn't probably have a lot of gaps in their portfolio because they have multiple suppliers. So for them to have another Amarone or another Valpolicello is not necessarily something that is a prior to them. Of course, it's welcomed. It's not it's not that it's not welcome, but for them, you know, profitability becomes important. And of course, when you have strong brands like Mazzy within wholesalers' books, it certainly helps. We, we like to think it helps the representatives knowing that they have these great wines that they can access some of the best restaurants. So the proposition could be from the very top, an importer has a hole in the portfolio and a wholesaler. Of course, it could be profitability, but they also have access to great wines that they can deliver to their best clients so they get better access to the trade. And for the trade, what do they want? They want when they put something on their wine list or on their shelves that they can sell it. uh, That they have equity behind it because they need these products to be in and out. And if you're a retailer, when you put a bottle of Massey on the shelf, the expectation is that it's sold. And of course, the marginality plays an important role. You know, we've never discounted our our brands. We're not discounters, so. We like to think that the equity is high, so the marginality is there too. So the the proposition is a little bit different for for every level.
0: But that begs the question. You said you took Masi off the label of some of these other call them now standalone products.
1: Yeah, you know, they they always were their own entities. It's just that we had the MASI brand on the front of the label. And in order for us to really fulfill our goal of having a separate set of importers and different channels of distribution, and we really had to remove the front of the of the wine and just have on the back label bottled and produced. You know, Cedric Walighieri is a property owned from Dante's descendants uh, for over 650 years of winemaking in Valpolicella. You know, our expertise in being partnering with them comes from the winemaking side and from the distribution side. So it's only appropriate that we keep our names in the back label, but really in the front, it was rightly... To be always called Citigualiceti, but we felt uh, years ago that having the word Mazie was a benefit. But in this market, the realistic is that y- you can't, you know, legally have the word Mazie written on every label and expect to have separate types of importers managing it. So it was a combination of both and the first uh, to make. But you know, I, I think that um, the brands, when when the consumer turns it, they have that trust and that consistency when you see the word Mazzy written in the back. But when you see the front label, you see City well, like Eddie, for example, you'll see that it has the prestige and the history of a family uh, for over six centuries.
0: So one of the things you mentioned to me uh, when we were originally talking about this, I was very interested in the role and function and fine tuning what you do as a brand representative. And one of the points you had made was uh, not to micromanage and to let the people at the various stages do what they're being, you know, how they're earning their money in supporting the brand can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i mean you know we're a producer you know we're uh, we're a wine producer we don't specialize in distribution so for us to to tell a wholesaler how they should be managing i've heard it done by others but i i think it's not a, it's not right this is what their specialty is
0: i think that's going to be pretty refreshing to distributors <laughs> because i think the other case is more common don't you think
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's very rare for, I mean, rarely do you hear a wholesaler tell you, well, you should consider hanging the grapes for four days longer on the vine. You know, they don't tell us how to make wine and maybe we shouldn't be telling them how to distribute. It's their specialty. You know, they've made the investment in warehousing and that, and we have to trust that they've, they've hired the proper people to execute. But once again, if we give them the proper message, so it all comes down to the proper message and our goal. And I think, uh, you know, what you want to do is you want to give them confidence that when they do sell the wine or they open up the bottle of wine, that their customer is going to say, yes, I'll take it. And then those people that buy it, they want them to be confident that when they open it at the table, that the consumer is going to say, this is fantastic. And I think that's what. You have to do, you have to give everyone confidence. And you have to also understand that it takes years to build a brand. You know, so these 30, 60, 90-day blitzes that people do expecting to get results, you know, those are all short-term. You have to have a long-term plan uh, that you can build off and you have to gain distribution slowly and properly. And if you do that, then you have probably developed a good relationship with all your levels of distribution. If you're looking for a quick hit, then you're probably not going to have a lot of good relationships because you're just asking them to do a favor or you're asking them to do something that really isn't uh, sustainable. And I think those are the things that you have to recognize. So, it's not our job to tell an importer how to manage their wholesaler, and it's not our job to tell the wholesaler how to manage their their network of uh, of customers. You know, we're there to offer whatever assistance we can from the, wine, the winery side. Of course, there's meetings you hold and you want to see why you're doing well and why you're not doing well and what things we have to change. But those are things you have to explore as partners, which is what we are. You know, we didn't hire anyone. We're, we're all partners in this. And that's, I think, the mindset that you have to take.
0: Uh, the sense I got from you when we were talking earlier was that it's everybody has to add value in whatever their area of strength is. And micromanaging or criticizing or questioning, both at the importer and distributor level, while it might be the issue that you're dealing with, on, you know, like uh, you may have to give some reports back home on distribution and commenting on that. How do you balance those two things?
1: I'm not sure if I'm even balancing it properly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think that. Uh, you get spoiled working with Mazzy because the results are positive when you have a brand that is strong and that there's not a lot of resistance uh, at each level of distribution when you're saying, Can you please represent this product? So, you know, we're very fortunate uh, in that case. But yeah, if what one thing with our winery is that we're all realists and we understand if the economy is suffering, if there's COVID, if there's natural disasters, if there's Uh, consolidation as long as there's good reasoning for it and a plan for us to uh, move away from it or be moved beyond it i think that's the important thing i think over 300 years of winemaking there's going to be some ups and downs as long as we're pointing in the right direction uh, we have confidence that we can grow so i think we accept that sometimes you you may not necessarily regress but not necessarily have the results that you want but as long as you you're examining everything and and trying to improve that's the most important thing i think our wholesalers and our importers they get beat up a lot right uh every month i mean I, I, this friday i'll be doing a wholesaler launch of our of our prosecco cannavel in uh, the mid-atlantic and you know i'm i'll I have 25 minutes to speak. I'll probably take 15 because I'm sure they'll be delighted. Now that I don't take the full 25, I'll, I'll make the point about our products and I'll engage as much as I can. But there, there could be 20 or 30 others speaking uh, or 15 that morning. So there's a lot of pressure uh, on them um, and there's a lot of expectations that most, quite frankly, aren't always uh, realistic, but they have to deal with it.
0: Well, that whole concept of the general sales meeting—I think you're referring to to something like that, where you're briefing an entire sales team on your product, and just the Friday show where you know they may have ten or twenty suppliers giving presentations.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. But yeah, that's you know when COVID passes, uh, pre-COVID, that was one of our, our main functions as working as representatives, traveling and working alongside everyone and getting into the vehicle and and opening wine together and, and selling it together. I think that's an, another important part of passing the message along. But doing that over a repeated basis over a long period of time. You know, if you're based in Italy and you come visit your market once or twice a year at best, you know, it's very difficult to establish anything long term. It's, it's much more challenging. It's not impossible, but it's much more challenging.
0: Well, that actually, that was one of the questions I was I wanted to pursue that, you know, you're physically here and I think that is a relatively unusual situation. What, what can... An export manager headquartered in the home country, not accomplished that you can accomplish or vice versa
1: well look I think the relationships that you build with all the levels of distribution are very important, and um, it's very difficult to do that when you're when you don't when you're not in the market you can have good relationships, but you need I think you need to have plenty across the country and you build that over time and trust and that's through repeated market visits because I think that If you're a wholesaler and you have a brand representative coming to your market, you want them to to be of value. You don't want them, oh, geez, I have to take this guy around for the day. You know, it's because they are working that day trying to earn an income and service their clients and you can't be a distraction. So the way you build that is by, you know, helping them sell wine. And... I think the repeated visits are, are really quite uh, quite beneficial over time.
0: One of the lessons I learned early on um, in my training from um, sales guys, um, checking the shelves, of course, when you're going into a store. But I remember in one instance, back in the days, when we used to wear suits and there were some shelves that needed dusting. So I grabbed a duster and we dusted all the bottles. And the, that made the relationship that I had with that particular rep and also for that wrap with that particular retailer. I'm not saying you can do that all the time, but it's it's what I mean. That's kind of a simple example of adding value when something needs to be done. Do it if you're capable.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And first of all, you know, I think the days of wearing suits when producers would show up in a retail shop and they'd be you know dressed in the nines, it's like it seems out of place, doesn't it? You have a retailer who's working all day. You know, they're in casual work clothing, which they should be because they're working, and you have. It's a hot summer day, and you have your representatives taking you in there. And you know how many times I've seen guys just. Dressed just over the top and I think you also have to kind of fit your market as well too you know I lived in Boulder when we first when I first moved here Boulder Colorado was uh, my home base for 10 years and it was I was it was fantastic because you go to Aspen and you know the people who representatives are wearing shorts and they're selling wine at Portland every market is different of course I still respect some formal markets where you have to wear a suit I, I understand that but it's it's nice that you can have some flexibility and and be uh, who you should be, right?
0: Oh, I get that. But it's hard for a lot of Italians to come and not look fabulous because of tailoring and taste and style.
1: (laughs) It's easy for them. It's it's worked for me, but it's easier for them. You're right.
0: (laughs) So let's bring this to a close. What can somebody take away from this conversation and put to use immediately to help improve their situation or services that they're providing to the people?
1: We just have to understand how this distribution system works and the pressures at each level that they have. I think if if you, we take the time to understand the challenges that each level has and try to execute, I think we'd be better off from the importer to the wholesaler to the trade, the retailer, restaurant restaurateur. I think that would be the, the biggest thing that uh, I think we should take away.
0: The, the flip side of that, and I guess the joke is uh, the old, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Well, the the, the role of, of a brand representative in the U.S. is to help and to be attuned to the needs of all three levels in the system and be a value, provide stuff, whether it's high-resolution images for their e-commerce things, customized point-of-sale, sell sheets, those kinds of things. The more you're able to provide the tools that they need on a day-to-day basis, the more value you're bringing to the party. Okay, thank you to uh, Tony Apostolakis. That's fun to say. (laughs) There's always a lot of uh, syllables in Greek who is the u.s representative for masi in the united states this is steve ray with uh, the get u.s market ready with italian wine people thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next week tony once again thank you very much appreciate it
1: thank you steve
0: this is steve ray saying thanks again for listening on behalf of the italian wine podcast